Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here, and I am joined by an awesome guest today. We're doing a little Locked On crossover action. I'm joined by Tony East of the Locked On Pacers podcast. And honestly, we had planned on talking about multiple players on the Pacers who the Knicks might be interested in. And then as we recorded, sort of just realized the Knicks would basically only be interested in Miles Turner. So we spend this whole episode talking about Miles Turner, what he's brought to the Pacers this year, how his injury has affected him and how it is continuing to affect him, uh, how he's going to, how he would potentially fit with the Knicks, how much he's going to cost to get in a trade. Uh, and also, you know, Tony kind of picks my brain a bit about, you know, how available would some players on the Knicks be in a potential Turner deal? And there's some young guys that, you know, those of you listening might not want to hear their name come up, but we talk through it and uh, see if we can come up with an ideal deal to get Miles Turner on the Knicks. So it's all coming up next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Check out prizepicks.com and use promo code NBA or go to your app store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And as you can see, if you're watching us on YouTube, which by the way, thank you for making us your first listen every day, and go check us out on YouTube if you haven't already. But if you're watching, you probably see and you're like, whoa, what's this weird Green Bay Packers looking color scheme on my screen right now? Uh, that's because today is a crossover episode uh, with Tony East of Locked On Pacers. And so, Tony, uh, how you doing, man? How are things in Pacer land as we uh, get into some more trade discussion here? Yeah, not great. You know, the, the <laughs> fact that I've been on as many Locked On pods as I have this year doing uh Doing trade talks for the Pacers kind of tells you everything you need to know about their season. Uh, 17 and 31 is is just a gross record to be, right? Like the treadmill of mediocrity, a term that was coined by the Pacers president of basketball operations, Kevin Pritchard, is not a spot you want to be on, and the Pacers are on it. So it has been a, a tough year in Indiana for the basketball team. Yeah, you know, I think there's I think there's in many ways like an alternate reality where the Knicks could be in the position that the Pacers are in right now. And so maybe this is like a good opportunity to feel a little more thankful for where the Knicks are at the moment, where they are at least sort of in the conversation of like, you know what, they're hanging around 500, they're hanging around the play-in, but with how tight things are in the East right now, they're like a solid like four-game win streak away from being like the five seed. Um, so, you know, it's it's not so bad in Knicks land right now. Of course, you know, the, the Knicks might be looking to make another trade. Uh, there's no way to know for certain. They've already picked up Cam Reddish and – Probably the biggest move to date uh, in the NBA trade-wise so far. Moved a first-round pick. Moved a first-round pick for the first time in 
forever. Uh, the Knicks haven't moved a, a first-round pick in a trade since pre-Phil Jackson, which is a whole three regimes ago wow. now. Yeah. Um, so they moved their first first-round pick, however heavily protected, since, uh, man, it might it might literally be the first first-round pick they've traded since the Bargnani trade, which is crazy to think about. But move that for Cam Reddish. So obviously that's a big move for them. But have a little bit of a log jam right now, uh, which might be alleviated by them selling off some of their own pieces. Uh, we've speculated maybe Alec Burks or something like that. But one guy that they've been tied to for a while, which has become a little more complicated with uh, an injury now, is Miles Turner, who's on the Pacers. So, Tony, give me the – first off, you know, we were talking about the injury a little bit before we started recording. Give me the lowdown on that, you know, for someone, you know, that, that hasn't kept up a ton. All I know is that I saw – Oh my God, Turner gets injured. He's going to be out for probably like a month. This really sucks for the Pacers because they were desperately trying to trade him. And now it might take them past the trade deadline for when he'll be available to actually get back on the court again. Yeah, it's a stress reaction. I have to always make sure I don't say fracture because those are A, very different, and B, one is way, way, way worse. He is a stress. Especially for a big man. Yes. Yes, especially (laughs) for a big man. Uh, He has a stress reaction in his left foot. Uh, which will keep him out for a little bit of time. He was dealing with it a little bit while playing, um, which I actually think is a little important that it is something he was able to play through. It just became a little more painful as time went on, which is how stress injuries tend to go. But stress reaction in his left foot, which will keep him out for a little bit. The Pacers said uh, when they originally put it out, which was about January 16th, 17th, um, that he would be reevaluated and or, uh, further updates would be provided in two weeks. That doesn't mean he'll be back in two weeks. Woj said... Uh, from ESPN, that he'll be out through the trade deadline. In history with this injury, it's been about a 18 to 20 game thing, even for bigs, which basically is a month of games, like a little more than a month of games. But the trade deadline is involved, or excuse me, the all-star break is involved. So it'll be about probably 15 actual games and then a break of action to get all the times up to speed. So that's what it is for him. It was clearly affecting his play a little bit, but it should only be a thing that makes him miss, like I said, about 15 games for the Pacers or whatever team he ends up on. And we can talk about what it means from a trade perspective in a couple seconds, but it just seems like right now a little short-term setback for a guy who has missed games in the past before. But stress things are always the scary one where you go, ooh, you know, you got to always be careful with what it could mean long-term because stress is just an overuse injury. So that that is where the concerns will be for any receiving team. Yeah, and and definitely, you know, foot injuries, something that Knicks fans are are unfortunately very familiar with over the past year. Mitchell Robinson had his own broken foot uh, last year. So more than a reaction, he actually full on broke it and it it turned into a whole ordeal with him, you know, having to take an an extra long amount of time to get back in shape this year because he wasn't able to work out on it and stuff like that. So certainly uh, still a, a tough area to talk about for Knicks fans. Uh, But let's talk about Turner, you know, in in the scope of how he was playing this year. You know, I think when I hear some Knicks fans talk about him, I think that they maybe slightly overblow the shooting aspect because all that we can remember is him, you know, just raining seven threes on the Knicks head (laughs) earlier this year and completely destroying them. And he, he generally seems to shoot really well against the Knicks, too. I think the second game he didn't shoot super well uh, against the Knicks, but, you know, he he does tend to shoot well against the Knicks. Uh, but overall, overall, like this year, I think he's more or less, I mean, statistically just kind of doing what he does for his, his career. You know, he's at 13 points, uh, 51% from the field, 
which is about as good as he's ever shot. Um, he's shooting 33% from three. Now he did kind of start the season really blistering. If I recall for about the first 20, 25 games where he's yep. shooting about 40%. Um, yep. so maybe that has something to do with the injury, which I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on in a second, but, um, so he's shooting 33% from three now, uh, is almost three blocks a game, which again is sort of right in line with what he does. He's just a really good shot blocker. Uh, where are you at with him on his play this year? Do you think that the injury sort of is what affected him and, and brought him back down to earth like that? Or do you think he was just kind of regressing to the mean anyway? Yeah, he and R.J. Barrett uh, put their wonder twin rings together before the Pacers and Knicks play, and both always just end up having special shooting nights against the other <laughs> team. It's, it's one of the weird statistical anomalies of the NBA. Every Pacers-Knicks game is the same. It's always like a really sloggy close game, and some random guy is the difference maker. It's never one of the stars. Anyway... This season, Miles, yeah, you, at the beginning he was on fire and, and shooting really well, and then it, it's kind of been a weird season for him because right in the middle, like the Pacers were not, not they've never been good this year, they've never really been close to 500, but they were like 13 and 17-ish when in the middle of December they had the big reports come out about Miles calling himself a glorified role player and wanting a bigger role, or as he described it to local media, he wants more clarity on what his role is and how he can be more involved on the Pacers. And for a little bit, the Pacers sort of obliged and he had a little bit of a bigger role, but yeah, he definitely fell off after the start of the season and has had trouble on this franchise with a bunch of guys who are, you know, similar usage and a little better than him getting involved and finding a way to be impactful offensively. And definitely, I think in January, he's really struggled in the year 2022, really struggled since the calendar flipped under 10 points per game, 41% from the field, 12.5% from three, he made three, three pointers in 2022. So the injury, I think, uh, I'm just guessing based on his impact waning, was about after Christmas or New Year's time. Because he he went because he like like you said he definitely regressed from deep a little bit after a hot start, but he was still effective. And like when they said, okay, we'll try to find you some more role clarity. There was a stretch in December, well, up to Christmas, where he was good. He had that 32 point game against Houston, where he looked really solid. You know, right after Christmas, he had 19 and 14 on consecutive nights against two good teams in the East in Chicago and Charlotte. Like he was looking good. And then all of a sudden he just fell off a cliff. So this season's been weird because he started hot from deep. He kind of waned and then got back into it after running a big role and then has just been terrible in the month ever since with this foot thing. So that was a lot of words to say inconsistent season, which that's kind of defined his career. Every year he has some stretches where he looks awesome and looks like a player who needs a big role. And he has some stretches where he looks terrible. So I would describe him like I have to everyone for all time. A little overrated on offense, a little underrated on defense, and still a very good player, but really hard to pin down unless you watch him every night. All right, we're going to take our first break. Just a reminder, this episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Hey, Knicks fans, you've been hearing us tell you about Prize Picks for months. Have you signed up yet? If you haven't, now is the perfect time. For a limited time, Prize Picks has an exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all of our users. Users get $50 for free if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point but you must use code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available for locked on fans only who use code NBA. Prize Picks has the best NBA daily fantasy sport prop game on the market, and they offer more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offer all the superstar players as well as bench players only recording a handful of minutes each game. Prize Picks offers any prop you can think of from points, assists, rebounds, threes made, etc., you pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry, and it's just you 
versus the projected numbers. Uh, you can use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play, and it's safe and offers fast withdrawals. Go to prizepicks.com today or go to your App Store and download the app. All users that deposit and use our promo code MBA will get $50 free if your first PrizePix entry scores a single point. That's right. All users that deposit and use our promo code MBA will get $50 free if your first prize picks entry scores a single point. Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. Now back into my discussion with Tony East from Lockdown Pacers. So before we get into the juicy details of like making up mock trades and, and all that good stuff, which I'm sure is what everybody's waiting for, I, I'm curious your opinion on what you were just talking about. Like, do you think that he's a player that needs a bigger role? Do you think that he's deserving of a bigger role? Do you think that he would do better to just sort of like learn to do what he does best better and, you know, just kind of lean into like, Hey, be a, be a pick and roll, pick and pop threat. You know, don't worry about putting the ball on the floor so much or whatever, being like a quote unquote featured guy, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say about it. You know, don't worry about, you know, whether you're the focal point or not, just be the focal point of the moments that you have to, you know, be the focal point of. Or, or do you think that there really is something to like, yeah, before the injury, they were sort of featuring him more. And maybe he is, you know, even now five, six years into his NBA career, like ready to take another step, um, you know, and really do something different than what he's done before. Like, what's just your general take on that just from your perspective? Everybody kind of has a different opinion on when, like, you establish yourself as a player. It's not, he's in year seven, which I think seven. is seven. Yeah, I just yeah. looked at that. Long time. That is unreal because that means that Porzingis is in his seventh year too, and yeah. that does not feel like it's been seven years. I know time is <laughs> is fake. It's crazy. Uh, at some point, you are what you are, right? Like at some, you know, they went from they had the Paul George teams, then the Vic teams, and then this teams. They've had a lot of iterations of the Pacers, and Miles has never just like seized this opportunity and looked incredible. Like he's had stretches of his career where he looks certainly very good. But he's never been just like this, oh, wow, he was so good in this opportunity that he needs a bigger role, right? At some point, you are what you are. So, yeah, I think I definitely think he has a point of like maybe he isn't getting quite as many shots as he could in, in, in a, a little bit different team or a roster that's built a little different. Yeah, you know, he, he's a good player. He deserves some sort of promotion, as he described it, to a bigger role somewhere. But I don't think he's necessarily like earned it with his play over his career, if that makes sense. Like when you're a seven-year vet in one franchise, yeah, you can ask for a bigger role. You've kind of deserved to have the sway. He's the longest tenured pacer by a mile. But I don't necessarily think anything about the way he plays necessarily says, yeah, this guy deserves way more shots per game or like a huge role. Like he, Victor Oladipo sees the opportunity to, after the Paul George trade, right? Miles did not do anything there. And then after they traded Vic, you know, it was all Domas and Levert. And so he, he's just never really been the guy who's just like, yes, he is clearly deserving of a bigger thing. That said to your point about, you know, being an all-star in his role, it's not a secret or a surprise to me that right when the Pacers start to be bad, the worst two seasons of him being on the team is when he voices these concerns. I think it's kind of a winning cures all thing where if he was on a better team or a good team, he'd be more receptive to just being the defensive stud that he is and not thinking he deserves a bigger role. So I think it's a little bit of both where he's right to say what he said, I think given his career, but he also just isn't the guy that deserves to just be like, yes, give me the ball more. So I think in a better situation, yeah, he he could he would be a little quieter about that kind of stuff. Cool. So uh, we'll move start moving towards fit with the Knicks and you know what the Knicks could potentially even offer that Indy would be into. You know, you're you're covering this team every day. Like, what are you 
hearing as far as potential price points, like before we start working out a deal here, because I do think we'll talk about Sabonis real quick. We'll talk about Levert to close the show, but like realistically, if the Knicks and Pacers are going to make a deal, I think it's going to be Turner. Like he's been linked to them for, I feel like two seasons now, roughly like the Knicks have been loosely linked. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe even three, you know, it's, it's always been a guy that has been sort of loosely linked to the Knicks that they seem to have interest in even across regimes uh, at this point. So you know, what, what do you think as far as what is sort of coming out of the, the Pacers right now as far as what a price might be for him, just as like a general baseline? Yeah, the first year Sabonis became a starter was the first year I personally heard from people in the league about the Knicks having some interest in Turner. That was 2019-20. So this would be the third season of some level of interest. Wasn't that when they switched front offices, right? Mm-hmm. Was that season, right? Yeah, so it I was. Think, so maybe it is just yeah. this regime. So I think unless it's it was, been a, a consistent... unless it's Unless it's a Perry thing, in which case Perry's been part of both. So. Hold over. Yeah. Yeah. So there's been, yeah, the Knicks definitely have interest in him. But like before last year, it was kind of just like every team has interest in good players kind of thing. I think last year got a little hotter, which is when it got more strongly reported. Anywho, all that to say, you know, I think that the way it's going to, they should view it, and the way it will be viewed for the Pacers is similar to Aaron Gordon last year, who had one and a half years left on his deal, where he fetched matching salary in Gary Harris, uh, about the 20th ish pick in the 2020 draft in RJ Hampton, and then a protected first in the future. I think that's about the value the Pacers would expect back, you know, either like two first or a first and a young guy, plus the matching salary. It doesn't really necessarily matter what that is. In the Pacers situation, they just the, the assets are more important for a 17 and 31 team. But I think the Aaron Gordon facsimile is what they want or maybe expect. I don't, you know, Aaron Gordon plays on the wing, which is a little more in demand position compared to center in the league. So I don't know if they can get quite that high. I think they can get close though, because Turner is that stud of a defender to me. But I understand teams not wanting to give up that much for him given how his career has gone. So that's what I think the price point is going to be close to ish, but I don't know that. The Pacers will get all the way there. I think they can get pretty close, but I don't know if they'll get all the way there. So let's say uh, I'll throw an offer out there, and you tell me if you think this sounds like something that that maybe would uh, happen. I also have another question for you in regards to the overall strategy for the Pacers, but I'll, okay. I'll just I'll throw the first offer out first. We've waited long oh enough. Boy. I'm nervous. So based off what you just said, let's assume that the Knicks would offer Nerlens Noel and Kemba Walker who combined make about $17 million. Uh, you also, I think Kemba, I'm fairly certain, has a uh, an option or a non-guarantee for next year uh, so they could get off him if they want to. Noel has one more full season and then a, a team option for the third season at about $9 million. There's some incentives that got reported that, you know, the deal could potentially be worth as much as like 10 or 11 or something, but... they're very unlikely incentives from what it sounded like. So those two guys match your salary. They have Dallas's top 10 protected 2023 pick that they could throw in there. And then I think the discussion would probably turn to, okay, what's the other compensation? They either have just fistfuls of second round picks going from like 2023 through all the way like 2026. I think right now they have, nine extra second round picks from 23 to 26. Um, So they could potentially throw those out there. Some of those are with Detroit, which obviously Detroit is no good. Uh, I think they have Detroit second for like each of the next two or three seasons after this somehow. They've just sort of worked that out somehow where they get Detroit second round pick for about two or three years in a row. Uh, So they've got those. Or we could potentially talk about something like 
maybe they throw in this year's pick, but they throw a, a fairly heavy protection on it, like what, what Charlotte did for them this year, which was, I think it was top 18 protected, then top 16, and then like Lotto and Lotto, and then conveys his two seconds or something like that. So I think that would probably be, if I'm the Knicks, that's something that I would say like, okay, if we're going to try to make another move where we're going to send out more first-round picks, which is not something that this team has done a lot of, uh, it, you know, in the last five, six years here. Uh, maybe this is something that's palatable for the Knicks. Do you think that that would be a, a, an offer that would get them laughed off the phone by the Pacers? Do you think the Pacers would be like, eh, let me call you back? Or do you think they might be like, you know what? I think that's good. Let's let's just put it through. We'll call the office and get the trade call going. Uh, interesting. It had to be a lot of sec- – so Kemba is fully guaranteed next year. And that's where a little bit of the tough part of the salary – the salary matching is what makes this really hard with the Knicks. And I, you, you know that. You know, they, they don't have like the good, solid – like like this, for example, for people listening. Like if the Cavs and Pacers make a Karis LeVert trade, Ricky Rubio makes basically the exact same amount as LeVert, right? So that's super easy to do from an asset perspective. It's just Rubio plus picks, whatever. The Knicks don't have that like very equal to Turner salary guy that also makes sense for them to trade because Fournier's money is a joke, right? For trade perspectives at this point with no offense to the Knicks. So that's where this gets hard is like Noel and Kemba have kind of no value to the Pacers in their perspective. So that just becomes the Mavs first plus seconds, which is good-ish, but not quite as much as I would be wanting if I'm the Pacers. And I have some questions for you, Mr. Mm -hmm. Nick's coverage everyday person, about a few names that I'd be wondering if you'd be willing to include in a Miles Turner trade in the trade you just said. All right. I'm going to take our second break. And this episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By like week three, you might be thinking, this just isn't worth it. Where is all the chocolate? Good news, Built Bars are covered in 100% natural chocolate, and they only have 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs, compared to a whopping 17 grams of protein. You are not going to find any better ratio than that, especially not in a regular old candy bar that has all kinds of calories, sugar, and, of course, fat. So here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes at home, in the pantry, in the office, in the car, wherever. Throw out all those sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or treat, you can reach for something that's healthy and tastes incredible. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Would you do... So can we just say the salary for Kemba Nerlens going forward? I don't have to say their names every time. Sure. The salary plus the Dallas first, any one of these guys, Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, any of them, would you include in that? If I was going to rank them in order of who I think would be most likely to potentially be on the table, I would say probably Obi would be most likely to potentially be available followed by quickly, followed by Grimes, just the way things are going this year. That is the opposite order I thought you were going to say. No. uh, Wow. So Tibbs loves Grimes. Grimes is is awesome. He is awesome. 
he is in the process right now of snatching a consistent like 25 minute per game role as a rookie, uh, whether it's going to be off the bench the whole year or whether he finagles his way into the starting lineup by the end of the year, like Tibbs freaking loves him. Um, he loves the defense that he's bringing lately. It's very obvious. I mean, in their game against the Cavs the other night, um, Tibbs had Grimes in down the stretch, closing the game out, which showed a, a ton of confidence in him first off, but also at a certain point gave him the assignment of Darius Garland, uh, who has obviously, I'm sure you're intimately familiar with how good he's been playing this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, he defended him as well as anybody could defend anybody. Um, he got super skinny over every single screen. He stuck to him like glue and Garland had like a really off night other than the the shot that eventually put the Knicks away, uh, which was just sort of a fluke, like offensive rebound kick out that the Knicks weren't really prepared for. And Garland just had, had some good shot making. But I mean, Grimes is he's looking fantastic, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the defense he's playing, his shooting stroke is really coming around and getting consistent. He's shooting like 40 percent on good volume so far. And he's even showing some ability to put it on the floor and play make a little bit. I think, you know, if Leon Rose is going to Tibbs and saying like, hey, would you be okay with us sending Grimes out in a trade? Tibbs would be like, absolutely the F not. Uh, He's got to stay here because I have big plans for him. Um, Quickly, you know, he's he's regressed a little bit this year. And I think that it's effective. I I got to say, I know yeah. we're not decision makers. I love Emmanuel quickly. I, I love him too. I absolutely love Emmanuel. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I do love him. His shot selection has been a little worse, I think, this year at times. And mostly just because they're not going in. Like, he's having a harder time. He's shooting like 4% less from three this year. But it feels like more a lot of times. And, you know, it seems like the hot nights are hotter and the cold nights are colder. Uh, like, he just shot one of ten the other day. The good thing, though, from the perspective of, you know, if, if he would potentially be included in a trade for like the Pacers is one, his contract is dirt cheap because he was taken so late in the draft, which is awesome. And he still has two more years after this. But two, like he is really starting to flash some playmaking potential. Um, I think that he's getting to the point now where even if he shoots one of 10, he can still affect the game positively because he's getting his teammates involved. He has this really unique style of play where which it sounds like you're somewhat familiar with anyway, where, you know, he's not like a burner, like a, a Derek Rose or something where he's going to just like rip by you and get to the rim and generate opportunities for everybody that way. He's like a prober where he just sort of like works his way in and just very slowly, but surely like gets this guy on his hip. And then maybe he'll throw up a, a floater. Maybe he'll throw up a lob. Maybe he, you know, sees enough of an opening and does get all the way to the rim. Um, but he's very good at just sort of controlling the pace of the game when he's in there at point guard right now. And like his assist totals are starting to hit like five, six, seven assists, almost every single game now off the bench, even if he's only in for like 20, 25 minutes. Uh, Cause he's really doing a great job there. The reason I say Obi would maybe be the most on the table. I, everybody loves how he plays, uh, you know, that watches the Knicks and uh, other than maybe Tom Thibodeau. Sometimes <laughs> um, the reason yeah. I think he's the most available is that Tibbs views it as an either or, you know, question with him or Randall. It's like he is convinced that they cannot share the floor at the same time. And for that reason, you know, I just think the Knicks, they just committed long-term money to Randall. So if a team comes to them and they say, look, we have this player you really want. We're not giving him to you unless you give us one of those three, like what you just posed to me. I think ultimately it comes, it's going to come down to then the Knicks just saying, look, like we have, 
much more utility with the way that Tibbs coaches this team to have, you know, quickly in Grimes find minutes and be affecting winning for this team. Obi, I, I won't say that he doesn't affect winning when he's on the court because I think he consistently, you know, he had a little bit of a cold stretch recently, but consistently throughout this year, he has put forth, I think, some of the best individual minute for minute minutes of anybody on the Knicks, you know, as far as affecting what's going on on the court, you know, pushing pace, uh, uh, you know, just uh, being everywhere all at once and really affecting what the Knicks are able to do on the court and having them have big positive results as a, as you know, or positive, you know, outcomes as a result of that. But he gets capped often at like, no matter how well he's playing about 14, 15 minutes because Julius Randle's got to get his 35 minutes. And so as long as that is going to continue being the case and Tibbs is going to continue to say like, look, if I have even two centers healthy, uh, they're going to occupy all 48 minutes at the center spot. And we're not going to even give a chance to like five minutes of Randall and Obi. I think maybe unfortunately, and a lot of Knicks fans would not be super happy about this. Obi would be probably the first guy that they'd be willing to give up uh, just by virtue of the fact that his utility isn't being fully realized by the fact that Tibbs refuses to play him anywhere other than the power forward spot. So that's where I, that's where I think I'm at with all three of those guys right now. Okay. Interesting. So I kind of thought that the Knicks would be the least likely to trade Obi and the most likely to trade Grimes. Although Grimes has been really good. Maybe I had that wrong in my head. I don't know. I Grimes love, stats I love don't, Yeah. Grimes' stats don't yet show how good he is, but yeah. they're going to start showing how good the, he is. The, the Knicks are funny. Because they have a lot of players I really like and their record isn't very good. So, you know, what's going on? But um, so I, again, we are not decision makers. Would you do, because I would love this from a Pacers perspective, the salary, the Mavs first and Obi. Would you do that for Turner? Because that would be, that would be it for me. I think that would be great. So if I'm speaking from the perspective of Alex Wolf, host of Locked on Knicks, (laughs) I've been consistently saying that I don't, personally think that Turner is enough of a needle mover for this team with how good or lack thereof they've been this year. I don't think that I would personally make that move. Uh, if I was Leon Rose and you know, we he still has hope for this team, which honestly he wouldn't be unfounded for having, I mean, is as relatively bad as the Knicks have been this year. They're only two games under 500 and literally, you know, Knicks fans saw last year, you go on one nine game win streak or like whatever it was like 12 of 13, you know, streak. And all of a sudden you're the number four seed in the conference. And the, the East is primed for another team to do that again this year. And it could very well be the Knicks if they make this addition with Turner. And it turns out to be a huge boon to them on the court. Um, I think given the fact that he's not going to be back on the court till potentially after the all-star break, you know, if I'm if I'm Leon, Definitely then risk. yeah, I'm gonna try yeah. to I'm gonna try to leverage that and say I don't think that I would give you Obi because I'm not sold on that. Here's this protected first round pick. You can select your own Obi Toppin in this draft uh, <laughs> if we so, do well enough to give it to you. Yeah, the other um, thing, I'm not the Knicks. Obviously, yeah. in these you are, but but if I can speak for the Knicks, if the Knicks mm-hmm. were the fourth seed right now, I think mm-hmm. that trading for Turner would be much smarter than Almost a team a that's under 500 right now, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. So. Mm-hmm. I get why they would not do that because even if they are, and I agree with you, they they have the talent to do it, to go on that run and get up there. If they were already there, it'd be a lot easier to do and say, yes, this is the thing that like, we could have home court. We could end up playing the Cavs. We could beat the Cavs in a series. You know, that is yeah. easy to say 
if you're already there. But if you're yeah. at their current spot where you're fighting for playing seating, it's like, oh, that's pretty risky. That's not as smart for us. So I, that, that's yeah. that's kind of what I would be thinking too if I was in the Knicks shoes. Basically, it's like the fundamental difference of like Turner right now would have to be more of a savior than a luxury. And mm-hmm. I think that if the Knicks were yes. operating from a perspective where he could be a luxury that comes in and, you know, like just sort of raises their ceiling, you know, but they already have this really good team in place. So they know like, Hey, even if this doesn't work out perfectly, like we're already good, you know, whereas I think that they would be trading for him in this case to be like, you need to be our new Derek Rose this year, but we're going to give up a lot more for you. So like you better come in and you better like raise the floor of this team and the ceiling because we need you to like contribute to meaningful winning basketball down the stretch that we haven't necessarily been playing all the rest of this year. Uh, and, and that's definitely very risky. And I think that's why, particularly with the injury, that might be the thing that kind of holds up negotiations between these two teams. Uh, I will say this though, this is, so this, I think we can kind of just close on this. I don't think we really have to discuss Sabonis and Levert, even though they're on the block. Um, so I'll just give my quick reasoning from the Knicks perspective. And maybe if you think otherwise, you could tell me, but Sabonis, you'd run into the same problem with Toppin. You know, there's no rim protector between him and Randall and you're not going to bring him in and bring him off the bench. So, you know, unless you're committed to playing Sabonis and Randall together, I don't think the Knicks would even make a call on him. Uh, Levert, I, I, maybe if this was two weeks ago, I'd say maybe the Knicks would make a call. But considering they just got Cam Reddish and just gave up a first-round pick for him, I think their plan is to try him out uh, more so than go for a player like Levert, uh, who's already been paid and everything else, too. Um, yeah, you, a team with Kemba, RJ, Fournier, Quickly, Grimes, Cam, their, Deuce McBride is in that mix, too. Like, they don't need another guard. You know, Harris yeah. is good and better than some of those guys, but they, that's not that doesn't make sense to me. Sabonis, so I guess, I mean, could make sense for the Knicks, but I agree with you that him and Randall are duplicative enough. They're both very good. I don't think they would fit like bad, but mm-hmm. they have duplicative enough skills and would be on top of each other so much that you're not maximizing either player all of a sudden. So then your assets have been wasted on marginal improvements. So I agree with you that Turner is easily the cleanest fit for a Knicks Pacers trade if one happens. So then my question to you is this, and I feel like we do see this play out sometimes where teams go into a fire sale mode and they're sort of the marquee piece that they want to move first, like have be the first domino. And as a result, then once they start getting into those other trades, you know, they start sort of just looking at things in like a, a macro sense rather than a micro sense, right? Like, okay, we're coming out of trading, you know, t- we trade both Sabonis and Turner, you know, and let's say they get Levert out the door too. And then when it, when it comes all the way to the end of that, they're not so much looking at what did we get individually for these guys after the first trade where you want to make the biggest splash. They just start kind of looking at like cumulatively, we just came out of this whole thing, almost like what the Thunder did, you know, cumulatively, we just made these trades and we came out of this with X number of first round picks, X number of second round picks and these young players. Cool. Look at us. Look at this great, you know, rebuilding package that we just got in total. Do you think there, do you think that Sabonis is considered their like marquee first domino guy? And do you think that could potentially affect the Turner market? Or do you think they're kind of just viewing everybody through like, we have a price for each of these guys. If they don't get met, we'll stand pat. But like, you know, we're fine with that. More so than like a Sabonis move sort of being the first little push that gets the the chain of dominoes going. I think more so the latter. You know, you just described the Magic did last year, right? Like they mm-hmm. were kind of waffling on what to do. And then they're like, okay, we traded Vucevic. Now it makes no sense to have these good players. Like mm-hmm. none, right? Like 
Okay, Fournier, you're out of here. Okay, Aaron Gordon, you're out of here. Oh, he can and get traded for maybe even less than you would have thought they could have gotten. Potentially. Yeah, Fournier, they got what two seconds, right? That's it. Yeah, it was you know? not a lot. It was yeah, not a lot. but but like what you're saying, the macro sense there was okay. Look at all this crap we got. It crap is not the right word. I'm just you know <laughs> look at all this. Look at all these things we got for our good players, right? And that that's what you're saying. I don't think the Pacers will do that. Mostly just not necessarily anything strategic or anything here just because of what their organization has been forever. They have never bottomed out. I say this all the time. People are always like, huh? They have not picked in the top 10 since 1989, right? The Pacers just do not bottom out. They just don't, right? So they won't. You know, they still have the same owner who will never tank and loves his team and loves to build on the go is how Herb Simon has always described it. They – there are merits to that strategy. The Pacers will never do it. So I think that the linchpin for them is just, do they get the offers they like for the guys that make sense to move, which is Turner, LaVert. And if they get an overwhelming Sabonis offer, I think they would deal him. But if they do that, then I don't think they'll deal Turner. Then I think they'll keep him as their starting big. So they have a lot of questions to deal with, but because they can't trade Brogdon, because Duarte is so promising, you know, they have some interesting stuff. Like I think they would like to be at least decent next year. Right. So I don't think they'll trade away everybody but i think it's very likely that they at least get rid of one or two big names cool. big, big names in which yeah. on the pacers is not huge names but i mean I, sabonis multi multi-time all-star and turner a uh you know a multiple time blocks leader i think so i, I consider those pretty big so uh at any rate tony thanks for coming on man i really appreciate this a really great in-depth miles turner discussion hopefully everybody listening from the knicks perspective feels more enlightened hopefully if some people Tune in from the the Pacers side of things. They like that uh, the Knicks asset uh, uh, breakdown there. But in addition to Locked On Pacers, do you have anything else you want to turn everybody on to, uh, like your Twitter and stuff, before we get off, if they're not on YouTube and can see it already? Yeah, I write a lot as well. So uh, at T East NBA for musings on this team around the deadline, all the moves they make and all that stuff, I'll post it all there. I cover the WNBA as well, the Indiana Fever. Uh, the Liberty are going to be interesting for your WNBA listeners. If they – are trying to get Brianna Stewart on their team. That could be some insane stuff going on in Liberty land. But uh, yeah, so T East NBA and this show is obviously at Lockdown Pacers if you listen to uh, Lockdown Pacers. So thank you guys for that. Cool. All right. Thanks so much for popping on, Tony. And thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back with a couple more game recaps uh, this week and also maybe one more trade deadline preview-ish show because we're just trying to work our way around and see <laughs> – who wants the Knicks stuff and whose stuff the Knicks want? Uh, maybe maybe we'll luck out and, and nail one of these trades and, and look like we really had sources, like we're Woj or something. Uh, but anyway, thank you all for listening. We'll be back uh, with plenty more episodes for you guys this week. Until next time, peace out. Talk to you all soon.